As you're taking your seats, would you turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 21. While you're turning there, let me just remind us a little bit about the story that's been going on. Just recently, David and Jonathan, beloved brothers in the Lord, indeed brothers in law, dear friends, had made a covenant. They had entered into a special relationship with one another, wherein they both promised to protect each other and to love one another. This was due, if you go back another chapter, because Saul was seeking to harm David, was seeking to kill him. Indeed, Saul gives us a little bit of insight into that when he talks to Jonathan and says to him, do you not realize that if David lives, your kingdom cannot be established? And now we have David on the run. David running from his master who used to delight in the songs of David, who used to delight in the glory of the Lord, who used to love David. He's now running from him as he seeks to kill him. We pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has charged me with a matter. And said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand. But there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us, as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread. For there was no bread there but the bread of presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, It is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Now if you would take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? 
Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And David departed from there and escaped to the cave cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became the commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpeh of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab. And they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet of Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. The word of God for the people of God. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we pray your blessing upon our time, upon this, your word. Father, would you move in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, apply to us that which you have for us today. Father, nourish us indeed. Give us this day our daily bread. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You ever been desperate? You ever been in despair? You ever been on the run? Has you, have you ever had a time in your life where everything just seemingly goes wrong? There's nothing you can do about it. Nothing goes right. Indeed, it might even seem as though the Lord is working this against you. You ever felt that? Some of you, dare I say, might be a little too young for that to have happened just yet. But the odds are, my friends, that this has either happened in your life or will happen in your life. And it's stories like these that we should turn to. It's stories like this one, which gives us a context or an understanding of just what the Lord can do in moments of desperation. Just what the Lord might work in our lives for his glory and for his kingdom. Let's consider David's desperation level. Had he been unfaithful to King Saul? Had he been uh, anything but innocent and good and faithful? What had David done wrong? We got that question a few times last week. And the week before, David was beloved by King Saul's very son, was married to Saul's daughter. He was a national hero. He was internationally famous. For Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And just in an instant, in a moment of madness, Indeed, in a moment where sin made King Saul pretty stupid, it was all taken away from him. All of this was removed. David had nothing. He had no food. He had no supplies. Indeed, he didn't even have a band of men with him. Can you imagine a lower point thus far in David's life? He had nothing. As I explain that story, I suspect some of you 
feel that familiar pit in your stomach, the familiar shaking of the hand, the familiar sense of dread and terror, of despair. Nevertheless, I think this is a great story. I think this is a story which should be loved. Because while indeed we can sense and feel tangibly almost David's sense of desperation, we also see shining through chapter 21 and the beginning of chapter 22 the promise of God. His covenant promise to be faithful to his people. And I think that feeling is much stronger than the feeling of desperation. I think that result is much stronger than anything David would feel or sense or experience in this story. And so I want to look this morning not necessarily at David's desperation. I want to consider two aspects to God's covenant promise in moments of desperation. First, I want to tell you this morning that God provides for his people. God truly provides. And secondly, I want to consider that God protects his people. We see in this story that even in desperation, even in loneliness, even in the deep, dark night of the soul, the valley of the shadow of death, our covenant-keeping God provides and protects his people through unexpected means. So let's consider first that God provides for David. If you look at the first seven verses, you see uh, this great story where David on the run comes in and, and he needs food, first and foremost. You need food for survival. And indeed, it's the first thing on his mind. How will I eat? And so he runs to Ahimelech at Nob, where the tabernacle is. He's seeking the Lord's provision. But it's worth noting that David doesn't deserve it here, does he? What's the first thing David does to Ahimelech? He tells him a fib. He lies to him. I'm on a super secret mission. I can't tell you anything about it. I've got a band of people. Why don't you have any food then? Why do you have no weapons? Oh, well, I had to get out of there. The, the king sent me and I had to go immediately. This is a mission which requires haste. You get the sense of justification, right? This story is not adding up to Ahimelech. And David is having to find reason after reason. I think this was a calculated move by David. I don't think that David wanted to lie to Ahimelech to, to injure him. Quite the opposite. I think that David comes and, and lies to Ahimelech with good intentions. I think he lies to him because he wants Ahimelech to have plausible deniability. He wants Ahimelech to be able to go into the presence of Saul and say, well, he told me you sent him. If that's not the case... I didn't know anything about that. And you see how that might be a plausible defense. You see, David understood that if Saul was trying to kill David, and Saul had already tried to kill his own son, Jonathan, for helping David, indeed, Ahimelech would not be off the hook. Sadly, we'll see next week that 
It doesn't get Ahimelech off the hook anyway. But it's worth noting and important to understand fundamentally, friends, that the provision that David receives is not because he deserves it. But David has done things, indeed, he has made himself unclean by lying in the temple of God. And nevertheless, God graciously gives him bread. So too it is with you and me. We do not deserve the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not deserve God's love. Far from it. We know this. But our God is such a great and merciful God that he provides for us even in our unworthiness. Even in those moments where we do not deserve it. But I think the way God provides is, is fascinating. Because David says, look, I need food. You've got to have food. You live here. Right? You've got a pantry full of stuff. Just make me a couple PB&Js, toss in some pasta, and I'll be on my way. Right? What do you have? Give me, give me five loaves. You notice that? David says uh, a specific amount. Five loaves isn't going to feed the band of people, but it's something. You've got something. And you hear the priest respond, there is no common bread. Feel that dread begin? That pit in your stomach? But then comes those hopeful words. But there is holy bread. There is the bread of presence. Now just a side word on this. You remember the bread of presence? Given to the people of Israel, commanded by God to be perpetually before His presence in the tabernacle. Twelve loaves. Three stacks representing the 12 tribes of Israel, representing God's provision to his people, representing the fact that God will give Israel their daily bread. And this bread was to only be eaten by the priests. Probably once it got a little stale, <laughs> been there for a couple days, they would take it away and the priests would take it home and eat it with their families. And they'd make some more and they'd put it before the Lord. But there's something else interesting about this bread of presence. Something worth noting here. You know that David just wanted five. He, he just needed some scraps. He needed some stuff. Well, if you go back and you look at the prescription for the bread of presence, if, and if you convert those into modern me measurements, you get that each loaf of bread was made with something over three pounds of flour. I'm not a baker. We made pasta the other day. We didn't use three pounds of flour. We didn't even come close to half of that or a quarter of that. And we made plenty of pasta. These are no little wafers. These aren't crackers. These are massive loaves of bread. And so you see, David comes in to God's holy temple, an undeserving sinner. Asking for mercy. Asking for provision. Asking for just five loaves. And instead he walks out with 12. He walks out with 12 loaves. Probably the size of his arm. Probably so much bread he, he couldn't even carry it all. You see the great and glorious provision for David? Do you see 
the unexpected nature of this bread. This is holy bread. Now, no doubt some of you are thinking in your minds, now wait a second, David shouldn't have had this bread. It's the show bread. It's the priest's bread. According to the law, David's not supposed to have it. Technically, yeah. The law prescribed that the bread was, was to go home to the priest, to be for him and his family. This was God's provision to the priests who were working in the temple and had no time to farm. But then I think we see something interesting. If the bread is a Himalax, once it goes out of the tabernacle, is it not his to give away? Is it not Ahimelech to give freely to David? Indeed, even Ahimelech asks, are they holy? Have they kept themselves from becoming unclean? For this is holy bread. Our God is a holy God. Ahimelech does his due diligence, and then he sacrifices of himself and gives away his food that David might have nourishment. Indeed, Ahimelech loves his neighbor as himself, doesn't he? But I think this also shows us that if Ahimelech had held the bread from David, he would have violated the essence of the bread. What was the point of the showbread? Again, to point to God's provision. And therefore, to hold the provision from David, who desperately needed it, who needed it far more than Ahimelech needed it, would have been to violate God's law in spirit. Friends, I, I can't promise you holy bread. We have no bread of presence anymore. But I can promise you that if you look to the Lord Jesus Christ and you pray as He taught you to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. He shall provide for you. Maybe not in the way you're thinking. Maybe not by giving you steak and lobster the rest of your life. Maybe not by giving you a six-bedroom home, slick cars in the garage. No, but He will provide. He shall provide for your needs as He provided for David. But consider this. This isn't the only provision we see in 1 Samuel 21. Look again at the rest of these verses up to, to verse 9. Verses 8 through 9, they, they teach us that God provided for David in a different way. He says, here's a sword. You've got no food, you've got no sword, you've got nothing. And you're on the run trying to defend your very life. So David asks Ahimelech, okay, thanks for the bread. Really hooked me up there. Is there any chance you got a sword or a spear or maybe a bow and arrow or something? And we have to laugh at this, right? I mean, just imagine this. Imagine walking up to the church, not this week because we're having the floors done. But imagine walking up to the church and stopping by Pastor Lee's study and saying, hey man, you got any bread and He's like, yeah, I think, I think we may have some communion stuff in the, in the kitchen. Let's go grab some. 
and he hands you some communion bread. And then you come by my office and you say, hey, Pastor Jim, do you have a rifle I can borrow? Now, I might just hit the pause button really quickly. Like, what on earth is going on? But just consider for a moment who you're asking. Right, we can give you bread. Priests can give bread. But what are the odds in the temple that a priest has a weapon? Now, we've seen it before. We've seen Phineas drive a spear through two sinners. It's not unheard of. But it's not exactly where you should go when you're looking for weapons, right? But in God's providence, you know the root of that word, right? In God's providence, the sword of Goliath was still at the tabernacle. The sword of Goliath, which David used to slay that giant, that enemy of Yahweh, was still there as a reminder, as a trophy of that great showdown between Israel and Philistia. Now, you have to really just take a step back and, and realize, is this not the greatest way? Unexpected. Better than what David could have asked for. Greatest way that God could have provided for him. I mean, he's walking out with 12 loaves, and now he's got Goliath's sword. This is incredible provision, but it's more than just bread and a sword. You remember back to the story of David and Goliath, there for that, that one story, is probably the best David that we ever get, right? He's innocent. He's fresh from being anointed. Saul's not trying to kill him. He's full of zeal, full of passion, love for Yahweh. He's jealous for the Lord. He rushed into the situation without considering the danger to himself. He was what some of you might call young, foolish. But here, in 20, chapter 21, in the lowest moments, what does God remind David of? That youthful zeal. That passion. That love for Yahweh. That jealousy for His kingdom. But more than that, for God's provision. For God and His provision. And so we see that provision came through the bread. It comes through Goliath's sword, yes. But it's much more than that. It comes through this subtle, sneaky reminder where God says, here's my bread. And here's that sword that you won because of me. Is this not the greatest provision that David could have received from the Lord? My friends, are you desperate? Are you in despair today? Are you lacking in anything? Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe not the next month or year. But when it comes, in that moment, when God provides your physical means of sustenance, when He provides for you and your family, when He is faithful to the covenant promise, and He will be, Remember this, that that's just stuff. It's just bread. 
and it's just a sword. The better provision that God gives is the provision of knowing that He shall never leave you nor forsake you. That He shall always be with you and that your faith as a gift from God will be provided for. Friends, I think that's a sobering reality I think it's probably uncommon. It's uncommon for us in moments of despair or desperation to run to God. But note, that's precisely where David went. Friends, would you join me in your despair and in your lowest moments? Would you join me in your joy and your highest moments in running to Jesus Christ? In asking for His provision? In asking Him Not for steak and lobster, but for daily bread. But secondly, we see that God not merely provides, doesn't merely provide for David. No, he goes a step further. He goes a step further and he protects him. He protects David. And here we get into verse 10 in this incredible story. I mean, this is absolute madness, okay? David is so desperate, right? He's full of food now. That's good. He's armed. Okay, he's, that's great. He's surrounded by other people. Wonderful. But he is still so desperate that he ends up at the gates of a Philistine city. And not just any Philistine city. Gath. Who's from Gath? Goliath. What's on David's hip? Goliath's sword. This is the exact wrong place at the exact wrong time for David to be. Now, I know David was pretending to be insane, but part of me wonders, okay, if that desperation didn't actually do something to his mind. Part of me wonders why. Perhaps he was thinking in a worldly way that they would welcome a traitor, one of Saul's prized generals or lieutenants in his army who could tell them about tactics, who could tell them where the armies are, could tell them the number of the army. They could glean tons of intelligence. Maybe David was thinking in that way. I don't, I don't know what it is. But what I do know is that he immediately regrets this. The king... Achish and his counselors proved that this was an absolute 